This is Colossus, and you're listening to The High Regard Show. Hey everybody, I'm Tom. And I'm Nikki. And this is The High Regard Show. In which we talk about things we hold in high regard. Very high. High above Harlem. Way up on the third floor. Moving on up. Oh, don't get better than that. Nope, sir. The things we do for you, listeners. Press buttons like a sausage-fingered freak. We don't listen to Tom talk enough. Oh, please. I got a hot mic here. Spaghetti. Oh my God. Welcome to the show <laughs> and to whatever the hell that opening was. Tom is just angry because I demanded to have the first spoken words of this episode. Yes, and you know how possessive Tom is with the first word. So he is with that every your word. Christmas gift, your <laughs> early Christmas present is you got to yell spaghetti in the microphone before <laughs> I got to say welcome to the show, everybody. <laughs> and if you don't know, spaghetti is from Tim and Eric. Is it from Bedtime Stories or Awesome Show Gate Job? Awesome, I usually fall asleep. Awesome Show Great Job. Okay. You always I, fall asleep. I usually fall asleep, yeah. But like Spaghetti is just this nickname that we have given to Kona. And I just find myself walking around like all day when I'm walking her or I'm just sitting there and I just say to myself, Spaghetti, and it just <sighs> makes me happy. Meanwhile, she every time you say it, she looks at you like, unless you have some spaghetti, zip it, woman, because <laughs> that is not my name. I think she would very much like some spaghetti for dinner. I think she likes anything she, all the time, as long as it's not dog food or dog treats. Or dog treats, yeah. Yeah, she, that's very specific dog she's treats. She's very, very picky, our little Kona princess. It's the difference in breeds, because I feel like a lab, you can just put anything in your hand, with the exception of a carrot or celery, and they'll eat it completely. Yeah, I mean, a lab is just, I mean, we call Kona a dumpster dog, because she's always sniffing at food and trying to pick up chicken bones and whatnot off the street. But like, It's a favorite. A lab is like... An actual dumpster dog. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A lab will literally eat anything. Yeah. Like, Kona will dumpster it's... dive, but like. Yeah. But then she's very picky when she gets in there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, there are certain things that she'll just pass by, but I mean, even. It's so weird. There are times where we're walking on the street, and don't ask me how people have the money in Harlem to just throw whole half slices of pizza on the sidewalk. I feel like there was a time a few weeks ago where every time we go for a walk, there'd be a half a slice of pizza on the on the ground. Yeah, it, it it goes in cycles. The food that like is available to the street food that's available to Kona at Kona's <laughs> level. <laughs> I feel like it's one guy. Whatever he's in the mood for is what you're gonna find on the sidewalk. But you really haven't lived until you've actually picked out. Yes, what a, did a you pick chicken out? bone from her mouth that someone else that you don't know has chewed. Yeah, well, it's I disgusting. Mean, like, I need to start wearing like rubber gloves or something. I overly know that feeling because I feel like every day I'm picking something out of her mouth. Like, I'm always watching for people, and then I'm always watching for like, what food is going to, what food landmine am I going to walk through on this particular walk? I feel like lately it's been sandwich wrappers. Like when people just get like mayonnaise on their wrapper and they crumple it up into a ball like the paper and throw it on the ground. I feel like that's the thing she's been picking up a lot lately. I mean, and I, I understand that they throw things on the ground because, like, I mean, in New York, there's no garbages ever anywhere. Like you can never, ever find a garbage can in close proximity. Unless you're in Riverside Park where there's one every five I was being feet. sarcastic because oh, there's a garbage okay. can except for Midtown, like near your office. Like, except for that area because I guess like it's too ritzy to have garbages. Like we'd, we don't have garbage here. Like, we're too good for garbage, but... Midtown is garbage. It is. Like, seriously, <laughs> that's why there's no garbage cans, because it's just a big dump. <laughs> it is a big dump, <laughs> especially this time of year. But, you know, it's not a big dump. You heard? A fact that we got a guest this week. 
Oh, yes. We have a guest and a You Heard coming up. So, so why don't we get into the You Heard first, guest second. I mean, look at us. We got a format to a show. Look at you, Tom. <laughs> like, you are just getting shit done, lady. Well, this is kind of how, you know, how a man takes control of the reins. <sighs> God, yes. Right? Yes, that's right. And then the woman just sits here with a smile. Well, I wasn't sure if that was the case, but now that you verified, I'm glad to know that. Because I would never assume it. But we have confirmation now from an actual woman. All right, little lady. (laughs) (laughs) I will gut you. (laughs) That's how much of a lady I am. Mm-hmm. I actually used to have a little knife that was like that was made to look like a little like it was in a little lipstick thing. Oh my god, that's funny! You would carry around a little tiny knife the size of a lipstick, and then you see the size of Tyler's knife that she carries around with her, and you're like, "Oh my god!" Did you see the size of the knife Tyler carries <laughs> yeah. around? It's like a sword. It is kind of like a sword, a rainbow-colored sword. Well, she uses hers for school and work. What do you do? You use your little lipstick knife for? I don't know, but I, I never really None used it for things. anything. I carried it because I had it when I lived in Pennsylvania, and I carried it like just in my purse as like a whatever because a friend gave it to me as a whim, and like so many times I would grab that instead of my regular lipstick and boy boy was my face red after i like almost cut it up (laughs) oh my god anyway they're so small like well how much damage could you even well like it twisted like it twisted and then it came up it was about like how big is that not big enough to do any real damage true i mean i'd have to get super close to like actually hurt someone but close enough for somebody to take it away from you and throw it <laughs> like and twist my hand and be like you. ow yeah pretty much <laughs> anyway You're not the kung fu master you think i hate to tell you i'm not no anyway <laughs> <laughs> let's get into what you heard before i just all but beat you with my mic whatever you heard This week's You Heard comes to us from the illustrious and pleasant and oh-so-wonderful New York City landmark, Penn Station. Can we just, like, omit everything nice that you said about Penn Station and just leave it at Penn Station? <laughs> well, I didn't think that, you know, I, I, I thought that maybe you all could pick up on the sarcasm that I had over Penn Station because there is nothing quite like the hell of Penn Station not only at rush hour but during a holiday week which is where I found myself last week when I was heading out out to Long Island on the L-I-double-R oh and I was snaking my way through the crowd not snaking I was actually just cross-checking people to get to the actual place I needed to be to wait for my train you made it sound like so you were so nimble and then it <laughs> comes out that nope you were just bumbling nope. down the <laughs> nope. bumbling down the hallway not the linebacker was coming through look out <laughs> and I don't even have the pig skin <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. but as I was making my way through the just monstrous crowd at Penn Station I overheard this girl talking on the phone and she said and I quote, I am going to need a vat of wine to get through the holidays. Mm, is that all? Right? And then that made me question, like, what exactly is a vat? Like, what? what is a vat? It's a big, like, container. Right? right? I always thought of it like a trough, to be honest with you. I thought a vat was like a trough. but See, I picture, like, like a barrel. Like a barrel that, like, an 
oil like an like oils in like you know when like they're like it's 10 cents a barrel or whatever like that's what i picture a vat to be and according to a quick google search a vat is a large tank or tub used to hold liquid especially in industry mm. whatever that means and their example is a vat of hot tar like why would that be the the example that you would give like are there like that many vats of hot tar that that's a like relevant reference i don't know but i feel like i would prefer like a vat of hot tar over a vat of wine like i feel like i would get sick of because you think i would get sick of wine do you think the people that bug us would like care if we're drinking and stop bugging us Probably no, not. No. If anything, it will just bug us more because now we're drunk and irritable on top of Because we're supposed to be else. jolly and drunk. As opposed to with a vat of hot tar, you pour it on them, chuck a couple of feathers on them maybe. <laughs> Who knows? And I'm sure they're going to be, you know, more preoccupied with getting that shit off of them as opposed to bothering me. Like, I wonder, like, if somebody, like, if you do, like, if people, like, in the movies, how you find, like, oh, they're in the hot tar. Like, God, how do you get that off? You, you don't. It burns your skin, man. That's why it was such a horrific torture device. Like, it's terrible. You know, like what, in the 1800s? I guess. I don't know. They were just like tar and feather people. I mean, once the tar gets on you, it just continues to burn because it's, you know, basically I used to fire, love so. the smell of like when they would put tar on like blacktop. Ugh. I love that smell. And I used to love like when they were building this, like when we lived in our old house, they were building this like neighbor like what do you call it like a like a manor kind of they were building like like a housing not a manor like what is it like was it owned by bruce wayne enterprises (laughs) a manor they were calling it like um they were building like a housing complex like development behind us and they were like laying the blacktop and stuff down so that they could start building the roads and everything and i remember just like sitting there and like the tar was there and it was still soft and i was like playing with it and it just like got all over my hands and then i did i was over it oh and it doesn't come off for days. No, no. Ugh, Everything so I touched, horrible. it was like very sticky. I was like Clark Griswold after he like cut the tree down and he had sap everywhere. Not good. Not There are certain things. Tar is one of them. Don't get it on you. No. You want to dunk your fingers in something, do it in cement. You can get cement off pretty quick. Well, and that's a life lesson right built right into this week's You Heard. Well, thank you, Tom. Well, I do what I can. I try to give out lessons in life. Thank you for occupying your herd. I appreciate it. But I'm not the only one giving lessons in life, especially this week with this week's guest, bringing lessons in life through music Music. and entertainment. Yes. This week's guest, Janie Barnett, is a very accomplished singer-songwriter who is actually hosting an Urban Americana holiday party here in the city at City Winery, which is a great, great venue um, on the west side. And she is going to have a bunch of guests here. She's going to be playing some new music from her new album, which was actually nominated for a Grammy, or it was was considered, it was uh, was, uh, considered for a Grammy, which is great. How do you know? How do I know? Did they tell No, 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 but I'm saying no. Does the Grammy does the Grammy like well, it was, thing call you up and say, "Listen, you're being considered." And then at the last minute say, "Sorry, we didn't we didn't like, you know, consider <laughs> you fully. We only considered you, but now we're giving it to somebody else." <laughs> like do you do you think that they tell you before time like you're in one of 100 people that we're considering and then they lower it down to like 50 and then let's say four and then those are the people who are really up for the award? I don't 
know. I don't know because it said that her her 2017 record, You See This River, was in the top 20 on Americana Radio after it was first released earlier this year. Mm -hmm. And it's in the first round for the Grammy ballot in the best category or in the the following categories for best folk album, best American roots song, and best American roots vocal. Hmm. And it really is like her music is very celebratory, but it's also very timely. I mean, she has this great song called Buy That Thing, which is also known as the Virginia Gun Show song, mm-hmm. which, you know, she does get into this, but I'll give a little preview because that's what I do. Oh. But she read this story on social media, mm-hmm. you know, which I think that a lot of people do like see things and they get inspired by things that they see, you know, going viral on social media. But apparently this teenager had a hidden camera and he went into a bunch of places in Virginia to try and buy things like he was underage. So he tried to buy a lotto ticket. He was turned down. He tried to buy something at the liquor store. Turned down. He tried to buy porn. Turned down. And then he went to a gun show. And walked out with a weapon. Of course he did. So he couldn't buy a lotto ticket. Well, a lotto ticket might benefit him somewhere in the future. A gun is going to benefit the gun manufacturer in the future. (laughs) So, I mean, which one do you think? Which is so important, obviously. Which is much more important than just helping seniors as lotto does. Well, (laughs) you have a chance of coming out on top if you buy, you know, a lotto ticket. You don't really have that big of a chance of coming out. I, mean, I don't ever hear somebody saying, I bought a gun. Look at like how my life turned around for the better. <laughs> you know, but the lotto ticket, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, it's it's a really, really great song. And that is going to be among those that she's going to play at the Urban Americana Holiday Party at City Winery on Sunday, December 3rd. But mm-hmm. maybe we should just go to Janie and let her tell us a little bit more about what fans can expect and a little learn a little bit more about her. All right, let's roll that fabulous bean footage then. Berg. Okay, Jane, you still with me? Yeah. Super. Well, thank you so much for coming on the High Regard Show. We really appreciate it. I've been listening to your music all day, so I'm very happy to start talking to you. Can you start off by telling me just a little bit about how the Urban Americana Holiday Party came to be? Ah, well, um, you know, of course, uh, City Winery is a wonderful venue for original music. um, And when they offered me the show, I wanted to do something beyond just doing a normal set of my own. I wanted to bring in some other artists I wanted to introduce my fans to. But um, it was also, I think, uh, you know, regardless of what your your political persuasion is, I think we all can agree it's been a sort of a challenging year and a year <laughs> of kind of fighting the, the, the old alienation feeling. Sure. Um, and holiday is means different things to different people. Sometimes it's a good thing. Sometimes it's not so good. And it felt to me like a good time to bring people together with this idea of um, let's have a party. We're not going to talk about people's religions. We're not going to specifically talk about their political views, but we're going to sort of come together and say, hey, we we survived. We survived <laughs> the craziness of this year, and we hope we're going to, you know, move towards a, a better a better time. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and we so so need that. We need we need to reward ourselves for you know yeah. living through this. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, and it, it was also one of their uh, concepts for this show was that because there would be a lot of artists on the bill with me, there would be a lot of voices singing together on at least part of the a part of the hour and a half. And and I'm a firm believer that you know you know uh, that singing together is a good thing for. So we're hoping the audience will sing with us and um, that we'll make a, a joyful noise, as they say. Great. And, you know, you do have that full slate of special guests that are going to be, you know, at this party. So how did they come to be involved? You know, what what were you looking for when you were kind of looking to to fill the bill? Yeah, well, number one, these are mostly old friends. And so I wanted to bring us all together and bring all the old friends in the room kind of collaborating in a way that we don't Mm -hmm. always get to. Um, I did bring some newcomers on that I discovered or that one of my old friends discovered. And I think also everybody has some has a story to tell. A lot of the songs that are going to be on the bill are stories. And Julie Gold is going to be on. And I've asked her to do a song she wrote about her mother and her mother's um, coming to America in the early part of the 20th century. And uh, so each person, I had songs in mind that I wanted them to share in terms of you know, our, as I said in the, the, the billing for the show, our, our common musical humanity. Right, right. Yeah. Great. And, you know, like your bluegrassy and kind of folk predecessors, you know, your music has that charm of Americana. But, you know, you know, like you said, it also reflects on, you know, the sad times and, you know, mm-hmm. the hardships that we've all been facing over the last 12 mm-hmm. months. You mm-hmm. know, so, so how much of the news cycle, you know, does inform your work? And can you speak a little bit to, you know, what your writing process is? Mm-hmm. The news cycle always impacts me. I mean, I, I make an assumption that it impacts everybody, whether they're, right. you know, an artist reflecting or not. Um, uh, you know, I grew up in the D.C. area, Virginia, D.C. border, and so I was kind of, my whole life was surrounded by, you know, social issues and political issues and civil civil you know, society. Um, mm-hmm. So it's all, always part of my thinking. Um, I think it's it's a challenge for an artist to write about directly about those issues and not be sort of pedantic and not uh, right. uh, preaching is not what we want. We want to just tell stories. Um, uh, but um, so I'm careful about that. Um, but it is something I always feel the picture isn't complete unless there are some of those stories involved. Um and uh, the writing process, for most of us, I think it's just, it's always there. You know, whether you're mm-hmm. sitting with your instrument or your or your computer or your pen. If right. You, if you're still working with a pen. It's always um, going on in your brain. You're always picking up stories, listening, forming words, forming sounds. Um, anywhere I am, the, the, the writing is kind of going on in the background and the storytelling, the stories are being collected. Um, and then it's just a matter of uh, you get to a certain point in your head, and it's kind of a funny sort of tingly feeling over the body. It's like, ooh, got to right. get it down, got to get it out, and, um, <laughs> and then you go. By the same token, I'm a firm believer in sort of making an appointment to sit down and write and not waiting for the tingly feeling to come. Right. So some combination of that I think is is sort of is essential for all artists to keep keep flow, keep flow. Going. Right. Right. Sure. And, you know, speaking of, you know, kind of, you know, there's a very unique story, um, an interesting, albeit, you know, very disturbing backstory to buy that Mm -hmm. thing. Um, Mm -hmm. It's a very haunting song, you know, and, you know, it's it's also known as the Virginia Gun Show song. So I know the story, but can you share Uh it with our listeners? Yes. It's interesting. I've been 
I started to tell the story and uh, because I wanted to make sure people understood. And then I went back and, and looked up the, the video that inspired it, and I realized I had the story slightly, the details slightly wrong. Um, but it was actually HBO, a, a, a sports feature um, uh, program uh, on HBO, and they, they sent a 13-year-old boy out with a camera attached to his shirt, and he first went to a uh, – I don't know the order exactly, but sure where he went. He went to a package store, and he tried to buy liquor, and they said, ha-ha, no. He went to a convenience store, and he tried to buy a lot of ticket, and I think it was like, darling, I can't sell you a lot of ticket, you know. He's <laughs> one of those, and he tried to buy cigarettes and couldn't know, no buying cigarettes underage, and um, – did I say the adult bookstore and he tried to buy some porn? No, oh, couldn't buy the God. porn. <laughs> and the last stop was the Virginia Gun Show, and uh, which, of course, is private sales. And he left with a rifle. He left with a rifle. He could not buy the lot of tickets, but he left with a rifle. And oh my God. super disturbing and very much on all of our minds right now where, where everybody is getting their guns. It's not everything that's going on with, with all the gun violence, but for me, it's one of... Uh, it's a crucial aspect that you know we can get at this. We can we can figure this out. The background checks and the private sales issues at the gun shows, and you know this is my home state of Virginia. And as I've been reminding people in New York, um, a lot of those guns, as former Mayor Bloomberg used to remind us, end up on our streets. Right. Um, absolutely. Yeah. 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 And, um, and I'm from Pennsylvania, so I have a you know a, a very similar you know. Yes. That's right. Affliction <laughs> with the guns and that's right. You know, so yeah. it, it's scary. It's definitely scary. And you know, I'm glad that songs like this exist to you mm-hmm. know kind of remind people. And because right. obviously the headlines aren't doing it. So that's right. It's you know, we got to put it somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And you know, going back to the beginning, you know, what mm-hmm. really drew you to music? You know, do you what was your first like you know musical memory that you have? Oh. Wow, you know, that's interesting. Nobody asked me that in the interviews I've been doing. My first <laughs> musical memory is, you know, my parents, my father had music in the house always. So he would, like, blast Mozart at the, you know, ungodly, you know, uh, volume <laughs> in the house, you know. It was, a, it was sort of a wild and crazy uh, opportunity to listen to music in that way. And he had all sorts of records in the house that he would bring home to us, Um I, I was at the piano at six. I was one of those very lucky children that got piano lessons at six. So mm-hmm. I have a very clear memory of being a very small person sitting at a big, big upright <laughs> piano, funky upright <laughs> piano, and tapping out, you know, whatever, hot cross buns or any of that. And just To me, it was just immediately magical. My dear brother and sister also had those lessons, and they were like, get me out of here and on the sports field <laughs> or in the pottery studio. And for me, it just stuck. It was like, that thing that you you hear people say about anything that they that they love for a lifetime that it was an immediate love affair that I could not uh, do without. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you know, aside from your father, you know, was he a musician or was he just a musician? His lover? father was a musician. His okay. father, um, although he he did not make a career of music, his father played several brass instruments. And um, oh. when he emigrated from Eastern Europe and landed in London for a while, he played music in London. So um, we all we all say that's where I got it because nobody else in the family is musical, <laughs> and I was named after him. So so I think it it works. It works for me. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> Definitely. And, you yeah. know, who were some of your, you know, contemporary early influences when you were kind of deciding that this is what you wanted to do with your life? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, it changes as you grow, right? The first right. Uh, singer that just blew my mind was Aretha, um, just for that, that just intense from her gut soul right. and of expression. As a writer, um, you know, the early Joni Mitchell records were incredible to me. Um, I came up during, you know, the, the heyday of the, the new singer-songwriters, you know. So first there was John Hartford who wrote Gentle on My Mind, and that was just incredible. Also, we had the banjo going. And then we moved into the, the era of Joni and Jackson Brown and mm-hmm. James Taylor and um, just that, that opportunity to express, you know, do the personal expression. And the people, the poets I was reading were also that sort of um, ex- personal expression poets, you know. Um, right. Storytellers, troubadours in that way. Um, later on, I, I, the music of some of the funkier funkier bands like Little Feet sort of informed and, and um, Country Gentlemen sort of informed that ensemble sound that I was looking for. Great. And is there, you know, anyone now that you think is, you know, particularly yeah. telling their music? Or the yeah. story? Well, <laughs> you know, the first Hunch Brothers record that record I put on just flattened me. I really <laughs> literally had to sit down. It's like, oh, oh, this is, oh, okay. This is what we can do. <laughs> I mean, no one can match that virtuosity, I think. Right. Um, but. But that uh, amalgam of sounds and bringing their bluegrass roots and their country roots into just, I think, just phenomenal songwriting um, just moves me. And the rhythms just move me unbelievably. Yeah. Right. And, you know, and you've, you're you also kind of teaching, you know, the next generation um, as mm-hmm. an associate professor at Berkeley. You know, so, yeah. you know, what do you teach in particular? And do you, you know, how have you seen kind of your students change over the years mm. as the times are changing? That's a great question, actually. Um, well, what I teach at Berkeley, I was brought there to teach teach the singer-songwriter, so I do that kind of a workshop there every semester. Um, I do teach straight voice technique because of my training with my mentor who taught me how to teach, really. Um, and uh, I teach them how to work with a band and how to notate their charts fully for for bands. So, you know, I start off my semesters in those classes, like you don't don't want to be the dumb singer in the room. You want to be an equal partner with the musicians mm-hmm. in the room. So let's really learn our stuff the way everybody else in the room has learned their stuff, we hope. Um, and I also teach a, like a sight reading lab, which is, I spent so many years in the studios in, um, in New York and Boston, uh, sight reading for, you know, as a singer for hire. So, um, those are skills that I, I love and I'm proud of and I'm, I'm trying to get the singers these days to, to still love those skills and embrace those skills. Um, the, I get a lot of the singer-songwriters at Berkeley. They, the, the, ad, the administration sends me those students, so I get a lot of that population. Um, and one thing I'm, I'm fascinated by is, you know, they have an incredible passion for their music, but they have no, they, none of my students have bought into the star-making machinery that we came up, uh, that I came up sort of being assaulted by in a way, you know, and always felt I, I where's the place for me because I, I don't want to be part of that star making right. machinery where somebody's going to say, why don't you put on a pair of fishnets? You know, the whole thing would be better if you <laughs> right. wore fishnets or whatever it is. Sure, <laughs> like, sure. <laughs> um, and they don't have any of that. 
they just have their authentic selves, whatever that is. You know, their authentic mm-hmm. self might be wearing fishnets, but, you know, they, they seem to have figure out who they are sooner. And um, I love that, and I love working with them on the fact that uh, – on, on their development, knowing that they – they want to trust their instincts. They might want advice and they might want some pointers, but they want to trust who they really are and not try and mold themselves into something else. It's very inspiring. That That is great. That is really, really great, you know, mm-hmm. especially with technology with so many things. Like there's so much – people are so much more in their own faces and in everybody else's faces because of social media. But, like, yes, knowing yes. that they have a sense of self is – that's very mm-hmm. exciting to hear for it is. <laughs> it is. And even if they decide, you know, I'm going to do my music and um, I'm also going to, you know, teach eighth grade and I'm all, or I'm also going to, you know, they have concepts that will support them doing their music, right. you know, the way they following their own vision and not, right. you know, cowing to some other pressure. Wonderful. And, you know, as, as someone who's who's done so much, you know, extensive studio time, singing back up for icons like Linda Ronstadt and Celine Dion, you know, is there, you know, someone that you've not done a duet or a session with that, you know, you would love to do? And, you know, who would that be? Like, who would yeah. you create it to, to sing with? Yeah, I never worked with Jackson Brown, and... um I still, I still pine for him. <laughs> I still pine for him. I've had friends work with him, and I have friends who've been touring with him, and um, I still pine for Jackson, and uh, um, I'm still hoping. I'm still holding out hope that one of these days, yeah. yeah. Well, we'll put it on your Christmas wish list for you this good, year. Good, good. <laughs> if you know any of his people. <laughs> Finally, speaking of Christmas and the fact that, you know, you're hosting this Urban Americana holiday party, what mm-hmm. is your least favorite Christmas song? Oh, God. I'm going to say it, and I hope you won't ask me to, to – uh, it was actually co-written by, by someone I know. Daddy, don't get drunk this Christmas. Yeah. Oh, God. My, I, I love my father so much. My father's passed away long ago, but occasionally on Christmas he would drink a little too much, and um, – <laughs> You know, being a Jewish family, it was particularly amusing. So, <laughs> um, so I think that might be the one. You know, holiday songs are, you know, they're they're some of them are really schlocky, some of them are really religious. But uh, anything that gets us all singing together is a good thing, I think. Yeah. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> well, Janie, thank you so so much for speaking to the High Regard Show. You were fantastic, and I'm really happy we got to speak with you. And well, you know, we will you. definitely pull some strings with Santa for Jack. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you, too. Bye So, wasn't she just great to talk to? She was. And I love the fact that. She's veered away from talking just about music. Yeah. Because, I mean, I feel like, and, and and rightfully so, that whenever we talk to a musician, they talk about their most recent projects. Obviously, that's what they're promoting sure. and stuff. But it's so cool to get behind the scenes and find out, like, what musicians are actually doing when they're not, you know, necessarily doing music. The fact that she teaches, you know, classes that right. talk about the industry that she's in is huge right and i love you know that she's kind of teaching kids that are like 
singer songwriters mm-hmm. because I think that's something like like you know the technical aspect is so big like that's kind of what everybody wants to be like I want to be the producer I want to be the person that like makes the music sound the way it does but like I never really thought of you know people going to school like that's what I thought that people go to school like music schools and stuff like they go to learn the instruments better you know because like by the time like you get to get to Berkeley like you have got to be like it's like Juilliard like you need to be good to get in like you have to have like a foundation to, to get in those doors because then they're going to take you to the next level. So I think it's really cool that she's teaching kind of how to craft songs and how to like, you know, and, and, and do that because so many things like the past of recent times, people have just become famous because of being on YouTube or being on a TV show that, you know, is supposed to be about music. Like, so I think it's really cool that like she's teaching from the ground up how to craft songs that, you know, maybe people will be singing 50 years from now. Definitely. You know, Go on. No, 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 I'm sorry. Go on. No, 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 please. Because, I mean, she's in really good company because she's, like, of those singer-songwriters that, you know, from the 60s and stuff. Like, her influences were people that kind of changed the face of music and helped make music be something that people could, like, use to to talk about, like, to speak to the the politics of the time. You know, like, Bob Dylan, Tom Waits, people like that. Like, they... I mean, he's not a folk singer, but yeah, like, I mean, it's the same thing. It's a way of getting a message across. Right. Yeah. I mean, and he's just, he's just doing it like louder and bigger, you know? Well, I mean, I think it all depends on where you see yourself too. Like, you know, I feel like, you know, somebody who wants to be a rock star is always going to want to be a rock star first. Somebody who wants to tell a story is going to worry more about the crafting of the story right. than they are the stage show. Like, you two right now can seriously go out, and it, it's almost, and I don't even like to make this say like, it. comparison. Just say it. But it's almost Beatlesque in the fact where their stage shows are so good that if the sound was completely blown out and you didn't even know what song they were on, you would still leave and be like, holy shit, that was an incredible, right. incredible stage show. Right. It's like Roger Waters, when we saw Roger Waters. If the sound system would have went out and the projector would have just been rolling on like, you know, that massive wall and they would have been projecting images, that could have been the show with no music. Where here, if you went and saw, you know, like uh, an, an artist like Janie, it's more about the story. She don't right. need a, a big theatrical stage setup. Like she could just go out, tell a story, and that's what you're interested in. Right, and that's what. And see, that's the thing. I mean, like, of course, I love like the big rock shows and things like that. But like, even if I've talked to you know a big, huge rock musician or a folk artist like Janie, what I'm interested in knowing about you is like what your process is, because I am fascinated by people who you know write like I do you know I I write for a living I write as a pastime a hobby when I'm not working like writing is the is my thing you know what I mean yeah so I, I I just love knowing how people can craft music out of words because that's not like my brain shuts like I have a door that is bolted shut that I can't you know, get past because that's not in my wheelhouse of things to know. Right. So, I mean, I always just think it's fascinating, like learning how musicians do what they do. And I thought she gave really great answers to my nosy Nikki questions. Yeah. And you got two good questions from her because 
twice she was like, ooh, that's a good question. And that's like the greatest thing that you can ever say anybody. Like, I'll never get tired of hearing that. I know it is because I feel like every time you come back from an interview, you're like, they really like the question that I gave. Like, there's always like one question that you get. But when you get two, that's like party bonus. Because, you know, the thing is, and like, and I know this and – I've known this like for a really long time because I've been like around the block in journalism. <sighs> you know, when you're doing interviews, chances are, especially with m- musicians having an event at a big place like City Winery that's popular and whatnot, you're probably not the only mu- the only journalist that they're talking to about what's coming up. So like they're going to have these canned answers, which, you know... They might tweak a little bit, but like generally they know what they're going to want to say because they're going to know the kind of questions that people are asking. But... I like to dig a little deeper because oh. I'm nosy Nikki uh. and I like to just like make it make them feel like, hey, I did my due diligence. I'm not just kind of taking shit off a press release. Like I'm actually looking into you and listening to your music. Like I told her, like I really, really loved listening to her album. Like it was just it was a gr- it's a great album and you should definitely check it out. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, you know, I think that some people when you're doing the interviews, they're used to every single question that's going to come from you because they've been asked all of those right, questions a hundred times. Yeah, that's what I literally but just said. I know it is. I know it is. But I'm saying when you throw a curveball in of something that no one else has asked to this point, it kind of I feel like almost renews like the interview where right, it's like yeah. going, "All right, it you're gives asking it a me the same the questions, but I'm a little bit more excited now in giving you an answer because it's." Off the, we're off the map for a minute as right, opposed yeah. to following the same track. Exactly, exactly. So I was just giving you a kudos. But that's okay. okay. You can be swarm, swarm ass to me, whatever you want to call I it. Can be, I'm sorry, You what? can be a swarm ass. A swarm ass. Sure, why not? All right, I'll be a swarm ass because that actually sounds kind of fun. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> well, so that was our interview with Janie Barnett, who will be hosting her Urban Americana holiday party with special guests that include Vicky Christina Barcelona and a bunch of other good folks at City Winery on Sunday, December 3rd. If you want to know more, you can check out citywinery.com or you can go right to the source and go to J-A-N-I-E-B-A-R-N-E-T-T.com. And of course, as always, because we're good people, we'll have links to both of those in our it's show because description. Because we're good people. Because we're good people. Not because we figured out a format. Because no. I would say it's more about the format than being a good person. Because if you really break down see, like, when who you we show are, how the sausage is being made, like I like giving this sense of... We're good people. We're just doing this. There's magic behind it. Like, you love to expose the sausage. Well, we're really not good people. We're not. We're not. <laughs> we're not. But we're good. We're good workers. And that, I think, is a testament to All us. All right. And that I'll give you. That I'll Thank give you. Thank you. We are good workers, I guess. So. <laughs> All right. So. Thank you very much, Janie. Thank you so much, Janie. You are wonderful. And I look forward to hearing more of you in the future. There you have it. Shall we get into a party? Why don't we get into Please, a party? Please, let's do. <laughs> All right. The party. So welcome to the party, everybody. I didn't realize we were starting so soon. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I just figured I'd give you a little recap this week as to what we were talking about last week, which was... Which was what, Tom? Switching medications. (laughs) um, 
From pharmaceutical to... Medicinal. <laughs> uh, like, seriously. And, and here's the thing, because... You know, last week when we talked about it, it was just a matter of, hey, listen, here we go. Um, you know, we're just starting this process. Who knows how it's going to work out? You know, we'll see. Um, as, again, if you want to listen to last week's show, the process was not easy getting right. a New York City medicinal marijuana card. However, since being on it now for a full week, I have replaced anti-anxiety, anti-depression, blood pressure medicine all based on switching over to marijuana and and how have you been feeling like how you know what was kind of because coming off of all of those kind of medications any type of big pharmaceutical you know well there was a weaning process which is why last week it was so hard to give an accurate an um you know an accurate depiction right of what you know uh, how it's going to work out because last week it was like all right i'm weaning off of this but i'm still on it this i'm actually you know on now you know i'm on the marijuana now i'm on the marijuana on the as ma your mom would say <laughs> he's Are on, you the, on pot. the marijuana he's on the pot <laughs> but seriously it's it's a matter of like um i've always hated pharmaceuticals you and i have discussed this many many times off air right just personally yeah and it's just like every time that i'm given like a new script it's like man it's like the last thing that i want to do i sure. don't want to be taking a bunch of pills because it's you know they're horrible they're very bad for you and it's i'm taking 14 pills in the morning i'm taking five more at night it's ridiculous it literally your grandpa up, you're like, my grandpa yeah we can't even find a pill case to carry around <laughs> with the pills you know to, that's how many i gotta take but at the end of the day um, to get off of some of those is worth it. To be replaced by one thing is even more worth it. Now, just to clarify, when w I first got this and was thinking like college days, like I'm going to take this, I'm going to be high, and then I'm going to be able to not have anxiety, not have depression, whatever. But the fact of the matter is you don't really get high from – the drops. You don't really get high from, um, you know, the pills right. that I have. Maybe a little bit from the vape pen where it might give you like a little bit of your Like fork. a burst. Yeah. So I'm told. But for the most part, the pills, the pills and the, um, the drops, they basically, the both of those will just knock you out before it makes you feel right. any euphoria. Right, which is the whole which was the whole point. Right, because sleep was like a big deal. Now, again, you cannot put sleep down as a qualifying condition to get medicinal marijuana right. in New but York I City. Like, and I, I and that's shocking to me because sleeplessness is so depleting. You know, oh, as someone yeah. who who struggles with insomnia regularly, it is so hard to keep up appearances, to keep up work, to just deal with life in general when you haven't slept in four days. And I don't understand. And it's so dangerous. Where, like, you see the people, like, crashes of trains, like Amtrak and stuff, like the sleep apnea tests that they that people have to undergo. Like, it's that big of an issue that every engineer has to, like, go through a sleep apnea test. Yeah. Because, oh, I was tired. You know, like, it. people discount how 
detrimental tiredness and sleeplessness can be on someone, which is ridiculous to me. But I think that like the the state's argument is always going to be we need proof that you actually need this where anybody can like, you know, stay up the night before they have to go to the doctor and just be like, look at the bags under my eyes. I haven't slept at all because I was so excited about getting my medical marijuana script that I was up all night. And can we just put it down for the sleeplessness? Yeah. As opposed to, you know, now PTSD. It's kind of like, well, where'd the PTSD come from? Oh, to the record that you were in the military or you had something. Or you or, had five surgeries in the span of, th- or three surgeries in the span of five months, right? Right. Or, you know, or even like the other thing, like for me, they put it on the weight loss, right. you know. But my question is always going to be is what happens in six months from now when the license runs out and they go and they say, hey, listen, you know, your thing is now expired, but, you know, the things that it was helping that wasn't necessarily related to the cause, because like I said, weight loss, great, I'm glad you put me down for weight loss. But really, the symptoms that it's helping the most with is sleep, anxiety, right. depression. So and you've been sleeping nonstop, and it's been pissing me off. Oh, my God. I sleep so good <laughs> with the drops. You're sleeping so good. So, so good with the drops. And, like, you're a dead weight. You're just like the dog. Like, you are a <sighs> dead weight who cannot be moved when you somehow find yourself on my side of the bed. Yeah, and I've been talking to my parents about it. And just to be able to openly talk to your parents about, like, <laughs> being on medicinal marijuana is just an unbelievable thing in itself. And my parents, who are fairly conservative when it comes to this stuff i would say yeah you know both of them are just like going man if you can get off the pharmaceuticals and do this and it's just weird that they support something like this right because because they've seen firsthand you know how bad the last couple years have been for you and on your body and mental capacity and whatnot yeah, but I mean, it's been this has been working out like phenomenally yeah. right now. So I mean, just to have them be like going, okay, we were never for you know right. you getting high, but we're definitely for right. this type of medication compared to the pharmaceutical stuff. Yeah, and you getting weaned off of like the pharmaceuticals because you've been on and off these medications, you know, the whole time I've known you before yeah. I've known you. And this was like the easy like there was no crash, there was no swinging. I mean like it would be pretty it could be pretty testing <laughs> testing, testing testing. Yes. Yeah. So let's go with testing because there were like four other words that I'm yeah. like that's going to cause an off-air fight. <laughs> no, no off-air fight, seriously. I think that like in a situation with this, um you just got to figure that you know, there's going to be some kind of adjustment when you come off to pharmaceuticals. For me, this time around, it was anxiety. Like, mm-hmm. I, I felt like there was three days in the past two weeks where my anxiety was, like, off the charts. Right. Where I'm like, I'm going to snap. I'm going to, like, go off on somebody. And that's going to be the end yes. of it. But it's been a very smooth transition. So, you know, in order to have things go this smooth, it just is saying, like, all right. This is taking care of a lot of the problems. If I would wean off and not be on anything, I would be like a train wreck. Right, yeah. But just weaning off while being on, you know, the the drop the THC drops at nighttime. Mm-hmm. Totally different experience with right. getting off the medication. And I can't wait to see the doctor cuz I know she's going to ask what, what what's it like being on this compared to being on all the other stuff and I can't wait to tell her night and day, man. Yeah, because like, and she's because she's not a fan of giving pharmaceuticals. Like right. she definitely is not a fan of that. So 
the fact that like this is like it's almost like a soybean how like soybeans can do so much like they can power things then they can make tofu they could make protein like they're like they're used for everything and like this little these little pills and like these drops and things like encompass they take care of so much basic things that people are on so many other pills for yeah, and I mean, it's just convenient now to get, and you don't have to worry about right. meeting someone under a bridge or anything <laughs> like that. I just need more so states to jump on the bandwagon and, you know, yeah. get with the program, you know? And I'm telling you, man, the more people that get the script and try it, the more people that are going to be against, you know, big pharmaceutical companies right, exactly. because they're going to realize. And <laughs> that's what the politicians don't want because those are the people that pay all those millions of dollars yeah. to their campaigns. Well, that's the point of the lobbyist, man. Exactly. It's just to make money for people. But, you know, the fact that you can grow your own medicine if you wanted to, you know, for people who don't have a lot of money, I mean, and get the same factors of all of these things that, like right now, I'm saving hundreds of dollars you on are. medication. Yeah, so, you are, definitely. But, yeah, so that's about it. I just, Like I said, quick update on how that's going as of right now. Um, again, marijuana, not necessarily used for pots, but it sure is helping out in a lot of ways. Well, I'm very glad to see that, and I'm very glad that you have been happier mm -hmm. and, you know, not so swingy when you go off your meds. Yes, thank God for all of us. And um, I guess that'll do it for this week's Potsy. Okay. I guess that does it for this week's show as well hmm? i guess it does all right well everybody thank you so much for listening if you want to learn more about us check out the high regard show at highregardshow.com and of course you can always write to us at highregardshow at gmail.com and you can find us on every social media outlet you could possibly think of as high regard show and of course as always be sure to follow our little nugget kona as the kona persona Yes, and once again, thank you, Janie, for coming on the show. We really appreciate it, and look forward to talking to you all again next Monday. Bye-bye. Good night, everybody. Bye.